Thanks for listening to the Valley Point Church Podcast. We hope it's a blessing to you. Really thankful that you're here today. We have a special treat because Dr. Modica from Eastern University will be continuing our theme of reclaiming sacred words. And as he began to send his content to me so that we could prepare that for you, I thought this is a really interesting word and I think we're gonna have a lot of fun learning today about this particular sacred word. Dr. Modica has been at Valley Point several times now and I love when he's here. I love it because he feeds us spiritually and he loves this church, he does, from a distance, from Eastern University. He cheers for us and he supports us and has been a consistent voice of encouragement for me personally. And that's something that I have greatly appreciated. Dr. Modica is the university chaplain and associate professor of biblical studies at Eastern University in St. David's. He's been a part of Eastern for several years now. He loves his school and he loves the students there. In fact, I was actually at Eastern in May for their graduation because my daughter Clarice, after four years, graduated and it was a glorious day. Our family was there. I had a camera and took a copious amount of pictures of Clarice graduating because it was a special day. I actually have a picture of Clarice walking across the stage There she is, a really important moment for her, a fairly expensive moment, but that's whatever. Now, if you zoom in to the right on the picture, go ahead and do that, wouldn't you know there's Dr. Modica on the stage and he's laughing and talking with his colleague and saying, it's a good thing that Clarice is smarter than her dad. I I think that was the conversation that took place there. I share that picture with you because I think it symbolizes Dr. Modica's love of life. He certainly loves life and it's an honor to welcome him back to Valley Point Church. You're like family now, you are. So will you please help me welcome our guest speaker, Dr. Joe Modica. Well, good morning. I have to be careful what I do up on the commencement platform from now on. You just never know who has a camera. Well, it is a delight to be back here. I want to say when I came here earlier this morning, some of you came up to me and said, why are you back? No, they didn't say that. You said, welcome. We're grateful to see you. So I do feel like family and I do thank very much for your hospitality, warm welcome, uh, your graciousness. It's wonderful to come back to a church over and over again over the years, so thank you for that. I'm also uh, grateful uh, to know that Clarice has graduated from Eastern University, and now I understand their son Chandler will now be uh, coming to Eastern in the fall. So as you might imagine, I have a very important question for Pastor Eric and his wife Tanya. How many kids do you have? because we're really doing well so far. 
So I'm on kind of a recruitment uh, type of journey here when I come to Valley Point, but we do look forward to having your son be part of our community as an athlete, but more importantly, as a student, as a citizen of our community there. Um, I'm also very grateful for this series on sacred words. Uh, Pastor Eric got in touch with me months ago to say this is our series, and could you think about a sacred word that has been particularly meaningful to you in your life? Um, and it's not Jesus necessarily, the sacred word, but it's going to be a word that maybe you have not seen before, depending on which translation you read. But I think it's so important, this series, about sacred words, because as you can see, we use a lot of words in very many different ways in our society today. I mean, I can't believe uh, with Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat and all the social media platform, how many words go out each and every day, sometimes the words that we use, but also the words we digest. And it's amazing to me that at some level we're at a place in, in our culture that we actually over-communicate with each other. I mean, I don't have a personal Instagram account, but I have one that is part of the university's account with student groups. And sometimes I check it and I'm just amazed of what people put on Instagram. I mean, what you eat? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, that's okay, I guess, but what you eat, uh, where you are, um, things uh, of that nature, I think, okay, maybe that's helpful. I mean, I always get hungry when I, watch, uh, when I see Instagram. But the point being is that just because we over-communicate doesn't mean that we protect or love our words. And as we know in our media, particularly in our culture, it can be very difficult to really honor words. So this Sacred Word series is so, so important. Um, I have a book that if I could recommend people to read, that would be related to this series is the book by a former English professor at Westmont College, which is in Santa Barbara, California, a sister school of Eastern University. It's by Marilyn McIntyre, and it's called Caring for Words in a Culture of Lies. Caring for Words in a Culture of Lies. It's a beautifully written book by an English professor with titles like it's 12 meditations, titles like learning how to love words, don't tolerate lies, another chapter on tell the truth, another chapter on cherish silence. I love this chapter, long, I love the long sentence, love the long sentence. These are meditations and I was impressed by her book on the first page, when I got to the first page, because this is her thesis statement. She says, Caring for language is a moral issue. Caring for language is a moral issue. Did you ever think that caring for your words and the words that are, are given to us, that it's, it, there's a moral dimension to that? Have you ever thought about that? Um, I have, and I continue to think about uh, that in light of the way I use words, but also understanding that God's words, right? We have God's word, but God's words are communicated to us, and because of that, we have a lot of words to ponder. They're sacred, they're in scripture, right? They are been given to us by the church, divinely inspired for Christian faith and practice as we live our lives following God, following Jesus. So words are very important. 
So this morning, what I like to do in our time is I'm going to talk about or take a look at a text that you probably are familiar with. Uh, it's going to talk about when the Jews were in, where the Jews were in captivity and they were planning to go into exile to get to the promised land, right? You've heard about the book of Exodus, right? The Jews exiting out of slavery through the leadership of Moses and moving through the wilderness to get to where? The land that God promised. I think that's a pretty uh, popular story on many levels because the theme of exile or wilderness or journey or pilgrimage is an important theme throughout all of the Bible. Have you ever heard of someone said, let me tell you my journey, right? When you give a testimony, you hear a testimony, it's almost like there's a journey involved, a pilgrimage, that you're traveling with God. So that theme, is, that theme starts in Genesis and goes all the way through Revelation. It's a theme of how God is with us throughout our entire lives. So we're going to take a look at this text, and I'll read it for you. It is from the book of Exodus, so if you have a Bible or an app or some other type of convention of how to read the Bible today, you can certainly take a look at it with me. I'll read it. And I'm reading it from the New Revised Standard Version for a reason, because I like this translation, right? Every translation is an interpretation. As you know, the Old Testament was not written in English, <laughs> just to, you know that. So every translation is an interpretation. I like this particular translation and a few others because of the sacred word and how they translate it. Okay, here's the story. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was nearer. For God thought, if the people face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them, the people, by the roundabout way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of the land of Egypt, prepared for battle. And Moses took with him the bones of Joseph, who had required a solemn oath of the Israelites, saying, God will surely take notice of you, and then you must carry my bones with you from here. They set out from Sukkot and camped at Etam, at the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went in front of them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them along the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light so they may travel by day and night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Well, I'm wondering if you know what the sacred word is that jumps out at me reading the text. Any guesses? Any odd word back in that text? Oh, so we don't have it in front of you, um, but the word that jumped out at me, and whether this is a sacred word, I think it is, it's in God's word, is the phrase roundabout way that God led the people by the roundabout way of the wilderness. Roundabout. Have you ever felt like your life has been in a roundabout way? That you think you're getting somewhere, and it just seems like you wind up back where you started from, right? 
or you had all these great spiritual formation plans that were going to begin July, uh, January 1st, and within 72 hours, you broke all your resolutions, right? Because you had the plan, I'm going to read one chapter of scripture, I'm going to take notes, I'm going to do... And all of a sudden, it seems like you're back where you started from. My sacred word to offer to you today is the word, the Hebrew word, roundabout. Circuitous, going around in circles. It's the Hebrew word Shabbat, Shabbat. It's a beautiful root word. It's a, it's a verb, Shabbat. It's the roundabout way of going with God. As a matter of fact, the word is used approximately 150 times in the Old Testament. And it's interesting, before I get to the actual uh, word, I want to put the, the, the text in context and then be able to kind of elaborate a little bit on the roundabout way. I just read to you in that passage in Exodus 13, it's, it's somewhat of the instructions of how the people are going to go from Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land. So you're following me? That's kind of the timeline. So right, uh, right uh, before that text in Exodus 12, if you look, it is the last plague, the, the last plague that was on, uh, on the Egyptians sent by God of the death of the firstborn, which kind of broke the back, so to speak, of Pharaoh, which would then he would let the people go. Remember the 10 plagues. So that happened in Exodus 12. Then it was the institution of the festival of Passover. So Jews each year remember their time in slavery in Egypt and how God sent the angel, the destroying angel, that, and, they, and, things, and they were passed over because they had put the blood on the doorpost. We know the story, I'm sure. Then comes Exodus 13, which is the roadmap, so to speak, of how they're going to get out. And then Exodus 14, they cross the Red Sea, the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea. Moses, right? The Egyptian army is drowned. And then what Jews do beautifully after every victory in the Old Testament, Exodus 15, they sing the song of Miriam and Moses. They sing, right? We are victorious. The horse and rider has been thrown into the sea. We're victorious. So that's setting the context there. And you're probably very familiar uh, with the hero of the story, um, as you know, Charlton Heston, or <laughs> right uh, from the Ten Commandments, you know that. Um, and you probably know that um, he is the one that leads them, and uh, he takes a lot of the blame for this roundabout kind of journey, which we'll talk about in a moment there. So I'm fascinated by this word Shabbat, which means roundabout which means going back towards, encircle, surround, change direction. It's used 150 times in the Hebrew Bible as a verb. And it, I'll give you some other examples of how it's used to kind of understand how important it is for their journey. It, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, Samuel, the prophet, went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all these places. The word there translated as circuit is the same word for roundabout, Shabbat, right? Circuit, when, when did the circuit, went around about over and over again. How about Joshua? Remember Joshua commanded the people to walk around the city of Jericho? Here's Joshua 6, 3. 
You Israelites shall march around the city, all the warriors encircling the city once. You shall do this for six days. The word encircling is you're going to go a roundabout way. Once, twice, three times, four times, five times. The roundabout way. That's how it's used in that context. How about Proverbs? Proverbs 26, 14, which states, As a door turns on its hinges, so does a lazy person in bed. I could relate to that this morning, right? I had to kind of turn myself a number of times like a roundabout way to get out of the bed to get to Valley Point, which is, you know, fine. And then fourthly, in Ecclesiastes, part of the wisdom literature, the word roundabout is used in this way. Shabbat, the, the wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Round and round goes the wind, and on its circuits, the winds return. Friends, it's, it's, it's probably a word that depending on what English translation you use, because this is only translated in about four or five English translations, the roundabout way in Exodus 13. You probably, much like myself, would have passed it by. But I think understanding the journey we have with God, that it's more about a roundabout way, and what can God be teaching us along the journey in a roundabout way, I think is significant. I think it's significant for us uh, as fellow travelers with God, as we follow Jesus in this world, what is it that God is wanting to do with our lives together and individually? It's interesting. I've been thinking about what, you know, I use Google Maps just about for everything. Um, you know, it's almost like, how did I ever live before Google Maps, right? I guess before that was MapQuest and before that was getting lost all the time. So, uh, or having my wife in the car, then she has good direction. Growing up in New York City, I just knew which letter subway to take. That's all I needed to know. I didn't know up, down, north, south. But coming to Pennsylvania, it was a bit of a challenge. But I wonder what, you know, you, in Google Maps, you can choose what kind of journey you would like. Scenic, you know, avoid the tolls, highway. I wonder if this was perhaps the one that um, Moses might have put into his GPS, right? Fastest scenic, oh, we'll take the roundabout way, folks. How's that? Poor guy Moses, that's a whole other sermon. I could empathize with leadership skills. Uh, poor guy, he just tried so hard, just didn't work out all the time. The roundabout way. So here's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to show you a map of how we think the people walked to the promised land. Um, I am not an archaeologist or, or a person um, who has mapped this out, so to speak, ahead of time, but I want to show it to you as scholars debate on the journey. So what, here's the map, okay? So on the left-hand side, we see Egypt, <clears throat> where the Jews are coming out of, and you can see they cross that blue uh, little Red Sea there, and then they start their journey, right? As you see, they go down south to Mount Sinai, kind of circle up to Kadesh Barnea, kind of float around, and eventually they wind up in Jerusalem. Can everyone see that? Now, let me be honest with you. If any of us mapped out our summer vacation journey like that, uh, you would have a lot of conflicts in the car. Uh, you might actually have people bailing out saying, well, we're going to get there, but look how we're going to go. Unless you're a person who loves the scenic route, this is not the most efficient way to travel. So scholars have suggested that 
If the Israelites, can we keep that map up there just for a little bit? Thank you. If the Israelites went in a straight line, which is the shortest distance between two points, roughly, now this is all rough, it's about 220 miles, which is like us walking from Philadelphia to Syracuse, New York. Okay, long journey, I don't doubt it. But probably, depending how people walk, the speed of it, and of course there's a lot of people there, there is um, children, there's animals, there's older people. They have to stop for sleep. They have to stop every seven days for Shabbat, for the Sabbath, okay? Taking all that in consideration, scholars think if they were to do all the numbers and crunch the data, it'd take about 14 days, two weeks to do that travel. How long did the Israelites stay in the wilderness? Wow, what a roundabout way. 14 days, couple of weeks, give or take, 40 years. What a difference. What a difference. Now, either God has lost God's mind, and this is just crazy, or there's something to be learned by the journey, by the journey. As a matter of fact, if you take it on the Bible's word, which is oftentimes a good thing to do, Deuteronomy, uh, if you look at Deuteronomy, the first chapter, verse 2, it actually says, if you look at it, I don't have it up on the screen, it actually says that normally it would only take 11 days to travel from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, which we showed on the map. So they even give them the sense like Deuteronomy, Moses is saying, hey, we could have done this a lot quicker, guys. But, you know, we know who you are. We know my leadership was a little bit lacking at times. It took 40 years. Okay. What I like to do is think about what are some of the less, like, why 40 years? Because I know my life, I generally like to get to places quickly, most efficiently. And sometimes I think of my spiritual life moving from point A to point B in a way that has the least resistance, non-complicated, um, perhaps smooth, and I keep asking myself, why? Why, Lord, are you bringing me in a roundabout way? Let me offer at least four quick observations from the text. This is from Exodus 13, just observations of why it's there. There's, that text is there to demonstrate for future generations why it took 40 years and not 14 days. Okay, the number one is uh, God leads them and never leaves them. God leads them and never leaves them. That's great. Uh, in the text, it talks about a pillar, a cloud during the day, and a pillar of fire at night. So even if you're feeling like you're, you're in a roundabout way, God hasn't withdrawn God's presence. God hasn't left you or I, even if it feels like it's taking 40 years to get somewhere. That's comforting. I think in the Great Commission, if you recall, in the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, I will be with you always, if even to the end of the age. Do you find that comforting this morning that you know, regardless of your circumstances or you feel like you're in a roundabout way and it's taking you forever to get to what you think you need to be at, God's presence is always with you. That's comforting. It's not as if God says, hey, I'll wait until you recalibrate and get back on the right path, and then I'll show up. No, no, no. God is with the Israelites through this circuitous, roundabout, circular way. Second, 
Second observation, in the text, God was preparing them for battle against the Philistines. Preparation is the key. Um, This is a hard one, right? I know for me, I always, um, having tried tried to be an athlete in college, but it was not successful. Who knew being an athlete was so much work, so much preparation, right? You just can't roll out of bed and hit a home run in college. But I did play some college sports, and I had a lacrosse coach that once said to the group of men, the games are easy. It's the preparation, the practice is the most difficult. The games are easy. When you get to the game, it's always easier rather than preparation. Now, in my case, the game was always easier because I never played. Uh, So, right? So my nickname was The Judge because I always sat on the bench. So don't worry. But you know what? There's something about the Christian life that is important about preparation. The question is, when we gather together here at Valley Point Church on a Sunday morning, I hate to use athletic metaphors this way, but it's like the game. We're here for the game. We're here, of course, we're together. There's a rhythm to the game, right? There's a start time, there's a half time, tithes and offerings, no. Um, And then there's an end time. The game is over and we all go home. And, And again, the question is, what are we doing before we get to the game? What are we doing before we come to worship together? Now, worship is important, and it's not a game in the sense of a, Um, a competitive game. I'm not using the metaphor that way, but I'm just saying we gather together. But you know, preparation is the key. It's important of what we do outside of the worship service. I oftentimes tell couples that I've been asked to officiate their wedding is that the rehearsal is the hardest part of the ceremony for me. The wedding rehearsal? Oh my! People yelling at each other? No, not really. (laughs) Well, you know, people changing things on the fly. No, stand here, and I'm trying to get... Well, the ceremony is beautiful, but it's always the rehearsal, the practice is when you want to get it right, right? You want to make sure everybody knows what they're doing. Preparation is critically important. Third thing in the text, right? So the first thing is God is always with us. Second is preparation is important. What are we doing to prepare ourselves in the journey? The third is that the journey doesn't often move as quickly as we like, right? Um, I don't know how you feel about Amazon, but my, what an amazing company in light of, I mean, you just click like a one button if you have the, the one click, and that thing is shipped to you faster than I can imagine, right? It's like no problem, no ease, uh, no, no, no problem with delivery. It's like our lives are, are, are so much... Uh, the express lane, right, rather than uh, being patient with however the journey takes us. I mean, I remember one time being astonished of someone who didn't have easy pass. I said, what are you, are you crazy? Like, this is like oxygen. You don't have easy pass in your car? I mean, what's wrong with you, right? Go see a therapist or something. <laughs> You're telling me in this day and age you don't have easy pass? I mean, you have to make sure you have the... Because we want the express. We want to go quickly. We want to move quickly. We want to have things delivered quickly. We want download more quickly. You just see how, how annoyed I can get with the Wi-Fi is not doing everything I want it to do on my tablet. It's like, oh my, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come. Like, let's come. Let's get this over with. This earthly existence, I've had it. Why? Because I refuse. Something in my, in my soul refuses to do things slowly slowly. 
Friends, spiritual formation is one of the most painstakingly slow things that happens to us. Spiritual formation is often the most painstakingly slow things that happen to us. Now, it doesn't mean that it's not important and it doesn't occur, but often it takes patience, it takes roundabout way, it takes time to do these things. We cannot rush spiritual formation. No matter how many retreats you go on or any books that you read, three steps to a greater walk with Jesus, hey, that's good, but there could be four steps. Or there could be nine, who knows? My point being is the roundabout way is the way that God shows us who God is. And last but not least, it's important to remember where you came from in the roundabout way. It's important where you came from. That's why they took Joseph's bones, right? Because they wanted to remember where they came from. They came from Egypt in slavery, bondage. And they took Joseph, remember Joseph, if you know the, the narrative, Joseph, the brother who was sold into slavery, is the one that keeps them alive because he refuses to be punitive to people that enslaved him, his own brothers who put him in slavery. So he refuses to be punitive, but rather takes care of his brothers and Jacob when they go to Egypt because of the famine that they experience in Jerusalem area. Right? Remember where you came from. The book of Hebrews says this about Joseph. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions about his burial. Wow, remember where you came from. I oftentimes worry about people who just want to keep moving on. I want to move on. Now, I realize you don't want to be stuck, but moving on too quickly misses the roundabout way of how things actually do work with God, right? Moving on is more of our impatience with God or maybe our impatience with ourselves. It oftentimes happens in grief situations. I don't know about you, having been a university chaplain for a number of years, and of course, Pastor Eric, Tanya, you know, being in pastoral ministry, when you deal with grief, people will, also, will always tell you, how long does it last? How many months do I wait until I move on? I said, you never move on. You lose a loved one, you never move on. And people who are telling you that are missing the, the sacred word of roundabout. Grief stays with you your entire life. Loss, it's how you integrate it in your life. It's how you begin to appropriate it in a way that is sacramental, in a way that offers a sense of tradition and ritual but, oh, I think I'm worried about people just moving on. Moving on. Everybody's moving on. I don't know where we're going, honestly. We're just moving on. The question is, do you see the pillar of cloud during the day? Do you see the pillar of fire at night? You want to move on. Make sure you know where you're going. Make sure you have the bones of Joseph, so to speak, when you move on. Okay. I was, um, I'm going to introduce you to one of the saints of the church. Uh, when I say by the saints of the church, I'm not necessarily speaking about Roman Catholicism, although this is a Catholic person, but these are one of the great clouds of witnesses that we can rely on and, and, and gain wisdom. It's St. Ignatius of Loyola. Have you ever heard of St. Ignatius of Loyola? Oh, he's an interesting character in the 15th century, was a journeyman, a person in the military. He's a Spaniard, person in the military, was wounded in the battle, and then had a religious conversion in his late 20s, early 30s began to serve the poor, began to serve others, 
and he became the forerunner of the Society of Jesus, which is now called the Jesuits. So if you know any, like St. Joseph's University, that's Ignatius of Loyola. They take their, they take their lineage from uh, St. Ignatius. And so I like to study people. Uh, actually, I have this thing I tell students, you know, read only dead Christians. Now, that's not, uh, so, right? There's something about when something's around for 400 years and you're still reading it, that's a good thing. Right? I worry sometimes when something comes out right hot off the press, it's an instant classic. That's how they promote it. Instant classic. I say, really? It's been out six weeks. How could it be instant classic? Let the person die. No. Uh, you know, let the book be out there for 500 years. Then we'll say, hey, you know, that was really important. So St. Ignatius wrote this thing called the spiritual exercises of how to live a life following God in the roundabout way, so to speak. He doesn't use the word roundabout, but it's how you begin to discipline your life with God. And one of the things he did in the spiritual exercise, have you ever heard of the examine? The Ignatian examine. We can go to that slide. And that's what I want to leave with you today, and you'll actually be able to have a copy of it that will be available in the lobby area, thanks to the church printing some copies together. This is something I'm not... You know, not mandating that you do, but it's a resource in the Christian tradition to help us understand the roundabout way. And what does it do? It's an examine, meaning at the end of the day, you would take 10 minutes. That's what Ignatius said. Just take a few minutes at the end of each day to think about these five questions. Number one, recall that you are in the presence of God and that you have been in the presence of God today. Some days... It's less feels like you're in the presence of God than others, but to, to almost go back on your day and say, I've been in the presence of God. Number two, look at your day with gratitude. With gratitude. Now, some days that is more difficult than others, but every day given to each one of us, regardless of how terrible it has been, is still a day in which we can follow Christ. It's a day of gratitude. There's some ways in God's grace that works even in difficult situations. Number three, St. Ignatius says, ask guidance from the Holy Spirit. Ask guidance from the Holy Spirit as you're contemplating the end of the day. How did it go? What were my feelings? What were the things that were resolved, unresolved? These are all things that the Holy Spirit that works within us and through community can be helpful with. Number four, review your day. Have you ever done that? Just look at, you know, review the day. I oftentimes have to do that, which, because I work with so many students who I sometimes bump into on the campus, you know, on the pathways. I almost go back to my office or at the end of the day and just write down, what did this person say again? Was there something I need to follow up in with? Uh, what was this day like? So forth and so on. And then number five, and this is a beautiful one, look forward to tomorrow. Look forward to tomorrow. This is the nation examine. And if you were to attempt to do this on a regular basis at the end of your day, before going to bed, 15 minutes or so, you would be able to see how God works in the roundabout way. Because often this Christian journey can be very confusing, very complicated. It almost can be disappointing. We could be disappointed about where we are in our journey. And we could even be angry, discouraged, ready to forget it. Yet God's presence, as we know, is still with us. And then we have to ask the question, what is God preparing us to do? 
and maybe God's love and grace is even going to be more manifested in the roundabout way than if it was done very quickly. I know for myself, when things come easy, hate to say it, I don't appreciate it as much. So that's why my whole college experience came hard, because I didn't do well all the time in classes, but the things I did learn were really good, right? So in some ways, God is not sadistic here, but God is formational, trying to shape us into his image and likeness. I want to end with a prayer, and... Um, um, and this is one of my heroes that I'm learning about uh, because as I was planning chapels for the fall semester, we have chapel once a week at Eastern on Wednesday morning. I know Pastor Eric kind of watches live stream and other uh, times there. We appreciate that very much. Um, This year, September 11th actually falls on a Wednesday. So obviously we have done, since 9-11, we have done commemorative services um, in the evening, but because this year falls on a Wednesday during the chapel program, we thought we might wanna honor uh, that horrific event, but in a way that we have a couple of students that are gonna be addressing how to follow Jesus in a post 9-11 world. Good question, right? Especially for young people too, but for older people. And so in preparation for that chapel, I've been reading about uh, the fire department's chaplain, the New York City Fire Department's chaplain, Father Michael Judge. I don't know if you know of him. He was the first casualty of 9-11, documented casualty of 9-11, Father Michael Judge, and he spells Michael with a Y, his first name. And I've been reading his biography by Michael Ford, and it's entitled, Father Michael Judge, an Authentic American Hero. And it was, it was interesting to me because on the morning of 9-11, um, this Franciscan priest, a chaplain of the fire department, went with the firemen as the North Tower was hit, right? We remember where we were that day, as if it was yesterday sometime. And he goes into the North Tower, and as the firemen are going up the stairs to rescue people, Father Judge is is in the lobby area, and he's praying the rosary. He's praying with the rosary, with his hands out, Lord, help us, Lord, here's the, he's got his fire helmet, helmet on, he's all in his fire uniform, walking around. As a matter of fact, Mayor Giuliani, prior to that, had seen Father Judge and yelled out something to the effect, please pray for us, and Father Judge said, I'm always praying, you know, it was this one, I'm always praying, Mayor Giuliani. So he's in the lobby, firemen are going up the stairs, things are becoming increasingly more dangerous, right? He's in the, north, the, the south tower of the World Trade Center gets hit, as the biographer tells. As things start to crumble, one of the last things that um, people were yelling at Father Judge, the chaplain, to leave, get out of here. Get out. I guess it was fellow rescuers, EMT, police officers, get out of here, Father, come on, come on. You, And he said this, my work is not done yet. My work is not done yet. That's when a partition of the South Tower, actually, which was right next to the uh, the North Tower, came in and hit him, and he died there in the lobby, as the story is told. Now, when that happened, the firemen that were there and other rescue workers quickly picked up Father 
judged and carried him out of that lobby because that was his, their, his chap, their, their chaplain who now appeared to be dead. They picked him up and carried him to St. Peter's Roman Catholic Church less than a block away because they didn't know what to do with the body. The first casualty, known casualty, 9-11. And I didn't want to show this image today because it's a pretty sobering image, but the, the men carrying Father Michael Judge has been called a modern-day Pieta. If you remember Michelangelo's Pieta, the word Pieta means pity. When Mary is holding Jesus' body after he is taken down from the cross, these men, these lovingly wonderful men, carrying their chaplain to put him on the altar at St. Peter's Roman Catholic Church. Touching story, a hero. But I want to give you the prayer that he had in his helmet. All right? I'm going to read the prayer that he kept in his helmet. I guess. Good chaplains, I don't wear a helmet on campus, but good chaplains must have helmet, the prayers in the helmet. And I'm going to leave you with this. This is Michael, Father Michael Judge's prayer that he lived by. Lord, take me where you want me to go. Let me meet who you want me to meet. Tell me what you want me to say. And keep me out of your way. Amen. Let me say that one. I think it's worth just repeating in his helmet. The, remember the roundabout way. Lord, take me where you want me to go. Let me meet who you want me to meet. Tell me what you want me to say and keep me out of your way. Amen. The sacred word roundabout can make us think that God is not with us when life seems to crash upon us. Yet God has promised all of us he'll be with us always and forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you call Valley Point Church home or would like to make a donation, please go to valleypointchurch.com slash online giving. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Send us a message at prayer at valleypointchurch.com. Be blessed.